15 second warning, 15 second warning. I'm going to have to do what? Sing. Well, I thought I'd sing. I, well, it might drive you away. I thought I'd sing and dance. One of the things that happened at this sing conference, when they were really, when his band, Getty Band, was really going strong, they had one gal who played the violin, and she stepped out about 10 feet into the center of the stage and started doing a Irish jig. It was it was like a, the clo- it was like a clogger thing, you know. Okay. Okay. Let's. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's uh, open with prayer and let's get going. Let's. Uh, I, this is my first time under the new time. Regimen, and I missed it. Here I am, a minute and 13 seconds off. I'm guilty. I feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see if we do that. We, did you hear that? If we do that, you all are partly responsible for us running over. I hope you know that. Okay, let's open with prayer. Our Lord God, uh, Jesus promised to be with us to the end of the age. And he's with us in the Holy Spirit. He's here with us now. And we pause to give thanks for that, to praise our Savior to praise uh, God, our Father. We, we also would ask that what we discuss here will be a praise to you, a praise to your salvation, your sovereignty. We pray that it'll be a, a help for struggling Christians, and we're all struggling Christians, Father. Uh, We pray that uh, anything I say or anyone says, if it's wrong, that that'll be exposed and corrected. And we thank you for your word that all of this flows out of. that we're trying to understand. We thank you that it speaks to not only your holiness and justice, but to your grace and mercy and compassion for us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Okay. I had it easy. This was a short chapter. It's... It doesn't have anything in it, I think, that you will not find to be 
completely new, completely at, uh, at a juxtaposition with what you've heard before. There, there's familiar things in it. However, it covers ground that we all need to keep, uh, keep fresh in our mind, in our heart. In our heart. Um, especially because it, it deals with um, our, our assurance. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we just had a whole series on assurance. It deals with what we do, what we do about our sin. You know, <laughs> I I asked two potential sons-in-laws, "How do you deal with sin?" <laughs> because I'm a sinner, and I know that how we deal with sin is important. We, you know, we can deal with it in 40,000 different ways that's wrong and destructive. I know that personally. And we can deal with it in one or two ways that's, that's constructive and builds us up. Okay, so that's, that, that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, so... Um, Let's see here. Okay, let's uh, let's get going. Oh, that was a. It, it doesn't like me going backwards when I'm at the front. Okay, um, I just noticed this, but maybe Ken and Blake had this figured out a long time ago. But the the subtitle of the book. Conscience, the subtitle is What It Is, okay, oh, come on, What It Is, uh, How to Train It, Your Own Conscience, Loving Those Who Differ in Conscience, okay, that's the subtitle, and, and the, they, the, the authors broke it up into two, three pairs of chapters, okay, uh, what is conscience, how do we define conscience from the New Testament, uh, what should you do when your conscience condemns you? That's this today. Uh, how should you calibrate your conscience? Next week, um, Ken, I think. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so we have a kind of a definition sh- uh, section, a internal, it's me. What, what do I, how do I view my own conscience? And then external, uh, how should you relate to fellow Christians when your consciences disagree? As, as far-fetched as that may sound. <laughs> uh, how should you... And then the, a missionary co-wrote this, so we have a chapter. How should you relate to people in other cultures when your consciences disagree? Okay. Which just brings out, you know, kind of what I think they'll argue is, and I have that chapter, I believe... They'll argue is um, <clears throat> culturally neutral differences. I'm going to struggle with that when I come to it because I don't believe there are culturally <laughs> every. Cu- I remember uh, Anne Buile 
what, what is his name? That's his last name, Anabwile. Um, he, said, he once said at a, a T4G conference that every culture is in full tilt organized rebellion against God. That's, I can see how that can be a little bit difficult to swallow because there's, there's some good things in cultures, but, but he's right in Psalm, we read that in Psalm 2. You know, why do the nations rage? And they talk about organized rebellion. Okay, so I'm going to struggle with that when I get to it. Okay, so the definition from chapter 2, some of this is just a review. The conscience is your consciousness or, or awareness or your sense of what you believe is right and wrong. Okay, that was the definition they gave. And, and of course, they expand that later on to, to include... Uh, what you believe is right and wrong at any given point in time. Okay, I'm going to tweak that a bit, or I'm going to propose tweaking that a bit. Uh, after having read uh, <coughs> um, a discussion between Tim Chalice and BK, Dr. BK. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right where they reviewed what the Puritans say about conscience. They tried to summarize it. Okay, so this was their, after, after their kind of mashing all the Puritans together, they, they came up with this. That conscience is an echo in the human mind of the verdict of the righteous judge. And where does that echo come from? Genesis chapter 3. That judgment was pronounced on man. It echoes down through generations. Okay? Uh, and we'll get a chance to look at that a little more closely in a bit. Uh, William Perkins, uh, a Puritan, <coughs> said, and they kind of quoted him to some degree and then, and then condensed what he said. <laughs> Puritans sometimes need condensing. Conscience is a part of the understanding that sets itself either for or against the actions of the, okay, of, of the, per, the person who has the conscience. Uh, there are a lot of relevant points from the earlier chapters, but these are two that I think we want to carry over to remember uh, as we deal with this chapter three. Uh, your conscience is for you and you only. That it's personal. Uh, you don't want to foist your conscience off onto someone else and vice versa. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean we don't preach the, the word clearly to people, one-on-one, -on -one, from the pulpit, whatever. In our singing, by the way, hymn singing, we preach to one another, we teach one another. <clears throat> another point, no one's conscience perfectly matches God's will. <clears throat> Okay, and we'll see that again in some of the scriptures that we look at. So everybody's, well, you remember that I think there's been some uh, diagrams from the book, the triangles, God's will, how it overlaps with Anne, and how it overlaps with whoever the other guy was, the guy was, okay? Uh, and... and we, we expose ourselves to this as we go through life to bring, to true up 
our conscience. Okay? If you're a carp carpenter, you know, or an engineer, you know about, you know, getting, you've got various methods and tools to true things up to a standard. That's the next chapter, I believe, how to calibrate your conscience. Okay, chapter three, what should you do when your conscience condemns you? And rightly or potentially wrongly, I'll, I'll leave Ken to decide this for next week, they've broken up this middle section, of this middle pair of chapters into what should you do when your conscience rightly condemns you and what should you do when your conscience, chapter four, uh, wrongly condemns you, okay? I'm not sure it's as neat as that, but it's, it's helpful to discuss it, okay? First, some questions, and, and, and this, is, this is group participation, okay? Uh, I'm going to have a couple of questions, this one and, well, these two, and then um, another one. Why would your conscience condemn you? For what possible general reasons? Anyone? To make sure you don't do the wrong thing. Okay. Or the flip side of that is to tell you that you have done the wrong thing. Or even to tell you you've done the right thing. Okay. What else? Don't hit me again. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, have they, I think they've already used the, the illustration of the dog who comes to you with his tail, with his head down and his tail between his legs because he's gotten into the habit of, of knowing what's coming when he's done something wrong. It's not conscience, but it's a good illustration. So that's a reason to, to bring you to a point where you're ready to change and to change you. Okay? Again? Yeah. Right. 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 It does.
okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So hold those thoughts. They're good thoughts. It can rightly condemn us. Why? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? It can wrongly condemn us, which is Ken is going to deal with next week. I keep shoving things off, the difficult topics off onto Tim, Kim, Ken. Okay? Another question, or set of questions. How could the condemnation of your conscience lead you to respond? What could happen to us under the con- condemnation of our conscience? We're going to look, think about it negatively and then positively. So, negatively, how could we respond to the condemnation of our conscience in a way that's wrong, destructive, unhelpful? Okay, I think it, therefore, every, everyone should think it. Okay, I believe it, okay. Rationalizing and then Wow, okay, I have a list here in a moment. That's not on it, but it should be silencing it. Okay. Okay, what else? Right. Right. Mike? I think provoking that particular therapeutic approach to it can get drawn to the psychology of silence it rather than. It wants to teach you how to silence it. Romans chapter 1. Okay. Anything else before we go on? Okay, we get a sense, I'm sorry if some of this is a little bit difficult to see, type size, but we, we, sense, we sense a very real separation from God. That's not necessarily a negative thing. I mean, we, it is negative, but it can be the first step toward, toward reconciling with God, okay? Or it can be just a thing, it's just this big gulf and we forget all about the forgiveness of Christ and everything. Okay. Uh, despair. Very similar to the fatalism. Uh, giving up, like he said, uh, which affects our, it can affect our endurance in the battle against sin. And, and my friends, we, I mean, you know this, we need, we need endurance. In fact, I think the book of Revelation says it exactly that way. For you have need of endurance more than once. Okay. Forgetfulness of clean, our cleansing and forgiveness. First Peter two. Okay. Uh, what about positively? What are some positive things, uh, ways of responding to the condemnation of our conscience? Helpful, constructive. Moving forward, 
What are some ways? Right. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay. So we, we follow that leading. You know, we're going this way, it leads us, it nudges us this way. Okay. What else? Somebody over, was it David or David? He put something in the early category that I put in this category. Right, yeah. It leads us, it can nudge us to confession. Okay, what else? Anything else? Possibly it gives us an understanding of what is sin that we didn't realize it was. Could be, yeah. But again, that's the conscience taught by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit, through, through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, David's godly grief, true repentance, 180, change, which does not happen in an instant. It happens over time. A heightened awareness of God's holiness and our sinfulness, this this gap between us and God, okay? <clears throat> it can lead us to flee for refuge, I mean, if, if to Christ. If, if the beginning of the psalm, the psalm 2, is, is organized rebellion against God, every person in that organization has this opportunity to flee to Christ for refuge. They're, they're, they're told that at the end of the psalm. Okay. And we have that great privilege. Increase of dependence on God alone. You know, I tried to work this out on my own. I failed. Okay. But it's God alone, okay? Um, which is similar to the, this one, giving glory to God alone for our salvation, so it can result in giving glory to God, okay? We, like, like at the end of, well, at the end of Psalm 130, at the end of Psalm 51, <clears throat> extending the good news of forgiveness to others, it can result in extending the good news of forgiveness to others. Psalm 130 ends this way. I think you all are familiar with Psalm 51, so I'll read Psalm 51. 130. Uh, <clears throat> he, he first comes to the Lord acknowledging his sin, asking for forgiveness, um, waiting on God for forgiveness. Very personal, up through the first uh, three verse pairs. And then he ends with two, two verses here. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay? That's 
that's extended to all of us. And we, we have this psalmist and, and David had opportunity to extend that same thing, okay? So we see, by the, by the time we get to here, we see how, how important it is that we know how to respond to our, when our conscience condemns us, especially when it condemns us rightly. Okay, the book has basically, they break it up into two sections, a clean conscience for the lost and a clean conscience for the saved, okay? Um, I have been a little bit troubled, anxious about how this chapter has been talking about the lost, not this chapter, this book has been talking about the lost. And I've been, always been wondering where that little puppy is at, the conscience of the lost. So we're going to find him. We're going to follow a trail, okay? Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, me, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And it goes on. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Now there, a couple of things you'll notice. One is that the witness is external. It's creation, okay? Um, but we'll see in a moment that it, it's internal it's it's coupled with the internal witness of the law written on the heart in Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> An aside. These ver- this chapter, 18 to 32, is very dark. It, it shows a spiral down. Okay? Um, Charles Williams, in one of his spiritual novels, Shows shows it very graphically. Uh, <clears throat> the protagonist is spiraling, spiraling down <clears throat> at the end of his life, has one more opportunity to reach out and grasp salvation, and he briefly considers it and suppresses it. Okay, but this chapter is as dark and as ugly as it is, is where all of us were before we were saved, okay? God can reach in at any point here and catch a person in free fall, okay? Remember that when you encounter people who are in free fall further than you fell, okay? Chapter 2, 14 to 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, notice that, by nature, by his created slash fallen nature, 
Okay. Do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They don't have the book, the teaching. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience, conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, <clears throat> well, I'll have a little bit <clears throat> later on that kind of shows this whole this whole picture in, in better terms, but you'll notice what's happening here. <clears throat> right now in their lives, they do or refrain from doing. Uh, they show, they demonstrate that the work of the law is written on their hearts, okay? And, and the, it accuses or excuses them, rightly or wrongly, okay? And then on the day of judgment, uh, the, the, the Puritans point to this and say that an unbeliever goes through their life with that weighing on their conscience, this, this coming judgment of a righteous, holy God. They suppress it. it it's damaged. It's imperfect. It comes and goes but it's going to always be there, and then they're going to face it, okay? Uh, John 16, 8 to 11. Um, Christ speaking, and when he, he comes, the Spirit comes. He's coming to the church, and... He's witnessing to the world, okay? In verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, which foreshadows the final judgment of all mankind. Um, now, I point that out because it occurred to me yesterday <clears throat> that, that <clears throat> this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world. Okay? Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, they have an opportunity, when so convicted, to repent and believe or to suppress, okay? This is following what, in, in my tech circles, we call the happy path, okay? It's, it's when everything goes right, and you'll see as we get down to the end. But it can go wrong at this point. They can suppress it. 1 Corinthians 14 Um. Uh, verse 24 and 25. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of the surrounding verses here, okay? <clears throat> so I don't want to hear no complaints about how I use this verse. Now, you can tell me if you want to, okay? You get down to the end of the section, though, verse 24, but if all prophecy and... but I'm sorry. 
if all prophesy, the church, and an unbeliever or outsider enters into the church gathered, okay, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. This is the unbeliever. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, at least to him. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay? This, this, I put this in here because that indicates the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church gathered. Okay? Um, Romans 9.13. And, and really, it's, it's just not... Oh, wait. That's wrong. Romans 10.13. I'm so sorry. And this is, this is stated, re, this is the final statement of this. It's restated several times. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, this, is, this is available to the unbeliever at this point. Or they cannot. <laughs> okay. Okay, Matthew 9, 2. I won't even turn, have you turn there. That's Jesus He's just healed somebody, and he turns to them. And, or, well, no, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I better turn there. I don't remember it well enough. Nine. Two. Okay, so the, the, this man's friends have lowered him through the roof. Jesus sees their faith, <laughs> and, and, and he says to him, get up. And take up your bed and walk. No, he doesn't say that first. He says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, so uh, metaphorically speaking, somewhere in Romans 10, 13, I'm sorry, that should be 10, 13, uh, has kicked in and, and there's been a, a, a call for salvation either on the part the faith of his friends or, or whatever. And Jesus extends forgiveness to him. And then he goes on to heal him. Uh, this correlates, by the way, with Psalm 130 very well. Okay? I'll let you ferret that out yourself. Hebrews 9.14. Again, this is the happy path. Everything works out for this unbeliever. Uh, how much more will the blood, it comes into the middle of a sentence, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay? So the other unbeliever can come to this point in his life. Okay, so... Um, this is a discussion, you, you, I can give you the link if you want, or you can find it. It's a discussion on uh, <clears throat> Tim Challey's um, site, can't remember the name of it, between him and Joel Beakey, okay? I, uh, he, I don't know where he teaches, but uh, 
So they're summarizing, mashing together what the Puritans want us to know about, uh, in this case, the effect of the fall into sin on man's conscience. Okay, that's been a question in some of our minds. This is how he summarized it. <clears throat> and I'll, it's three slides, I'll read it. If the, the fall of man brought us under the condemning wrath of God and the enslaving darkness of sin. This, uh, okay, I'm sorry, the first, meaning uh, the, uh, the condemning wrath of God, first disturbs and terrifies the conscience insofar as it senses the coming judgment. The latter, uh, the wrath of God, uh, the enslaving darkness of sin, disorders and confuses the conscience, okay? Yes. Um, this whole topic that you've been talking about, the conscience and the law, has been causing me uh, difficulty uh, in, in the course so far. Um, could you, and I'm seeing here in, when the Puritans are talking about the uh, that relationship for the law and the condemning wrath of God, um, that it's not a conviction. They're not even conviction words. Uh-huh. Um, so my question is, in the way, for somebody who is saved, then the conscience functions to convict them of their sin. Is there a way that the conscience functions to convict somebody who is unregenerate? Because I don't know that that category exists, that, that somebody who is unregenerate can feel conviction of sin, or does he just feel a I'm a little unclear on the distinction. <clears throat> well, this person is unregenerate, so we can back up the chain. Okay. Well, I I take I take condemnation and conviction like a judge. Okay, a judge passes down sins. This guy says, "I doesn't do it." Okay, your sins is such and such. It's a it's an objective reality. Okay, you're guilty. I mean, the the, the jury first says you're he's guilty. The judge passes sins. That's an objective reality. He says, he goes through his whole sins. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Okay, that's his testimony to everybody. Now, he may be right and he may be wrong, but he'll, he'll say it one right there. I, I take conviction, external reality, to be the same as that condemnation. Okay, tell me what the difference is then. I see. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Okay. So, so Jesus is what Jesus said kicks in here for, for a person. 
Okay, but again, I think they have the opportunity to go either way. They convict that, that convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, I I see the difficulty. Okay, I'm not sure how to handle that though. Well, it's the same function, but we'll see. I hope if we can get to it, that that you have a, the saved have a regenerate fu- conscience. That's that's a big difference. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Let's go on. Uh, okay, so this first disturbs and terrifies the conscience insofar as it senses the coming judgment. The external witness of creation has already made him know there's a judgment coming. He lives life that way. The enslaving darkness of sin disorders and confuses the the conscience, and he can't escape that. The last part of this is Perkins taught that, that though a remnant of God's image persists in man's mind through certain notions concerning good and evil, mankind has fallen into much ignorance of the truth and inability to understand spiritual realities. Futility in not distinguish, distinguishing truth from falsehood and a natural tendency to follow evil and lies. There's one more section I I lied to you here. Um, This distorts the conscience, though it still retains a degree of its power to rebuke and restrain sin. Okay, it's 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 not conviction leading to repentance. I agree with that, okay? But it restrains, okay? Fallen... Conscience tends to excuse inward wickedness if it's covered in outward worship. I I had to think about that one for a minute. It also tends to falsely accuse a person when he fails to follow their traditions, traditions and doctrines of mere men. Sometimes conscience may accuse and terrify a person for his sin. And yet consciences may be seared by by numbness to habits of by habits of sinning. Okay. That was, I thought that was a fair summary uh, on, the, on the part of the uh, Puritans on, on the chain of uh, the chain, the trail, the happy path, if you will. Okay, so um, th- now we want to ask about the Christian uh, in his conscience. Uh, it's a regenerate conscience, so it's supercharged. It's super. Sen- it's it's more sensitive, okay, and that's increasing over time. Uh, you're familiar with uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 33, 34, the law written on the heart. Uh, in fact, let me just read that because it's it's an important dis- distinction or stepping point when a person becomes a Christian. 
31, 33, and 34. Um, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Now, Romans 2 talked about the law written on the Gentile heart. This is a different thing. This is regeneration. Uh, And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each... each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Again, this is the uh, saved people of God. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sins no more. Uh, and Romans eight thirteen fourteen talks about the, the battle that we engage in, uh, lifelong, really, uh, to put sin to death, okay, by the Holy Spirit. Um, you're familiar with this, okay, come on, puppy. Okay. okay, you're familiar with this kind of illustration. It's from the book, uh, but you've seen this before. As we go through our Christian life, our knowledge of God, His holiness and righteousness, His laws increases, uh, our obedience to God and His law increases, but not, not, not at the same rate as our knowledge of God's law and His righteousness. This gap often seems to keep growing. Okay, now they've they've fore, kind of foreshadowed <laughs> their solution to this. It's the cross. Okay, we look to the cross to cover that gap. Okay, um, I've seen that same type of thing. Off, off and on. Uh, if the gap for the, soup, for the Christian, if the gap between what we should be and what we are, really are keeps growing, how can we possibly escape complete despair in the Christian life? What can we do with this supercharged knowledge of God and this supercharged conscience with its supercharged condemnation? Okay, That's what we're going to cover next. Um, I have lost an entire section. But fortunately, I have it in my notes. I don't know how I got lost that. Okay, 1 John 1, 7 to... uh, 1 John 1. Okay, let's turn there. What do we do? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, now... Uh, they they say they suppose in the book what, what would it what it, would it be like if God had said uh, uh, he, he pointed out instead of God's faithfulness and and His justice if it had pointed out His mercy and kindness okay well the faithfulness 
the justice. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Why is God just forgiving, for forgiving our sins? Because of his son. Okay? The justice has already been served. We're free from the condemnation of that. Okay? Because Jesus bore it. Uh, he's faithful because he's not going to come and go on this issue of forgiveness of our sins because Christ has paid for it. He stood in our place. Go on to chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's, that's, that's the idea of the Christian life, that we may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so uh, we, when we do sin, we, we turn to the propitiation of Christ, which is where we began our Christian life. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 12 and go back a little ways. You're familiar with 4.12. It's, uh, <clears throat> For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every Christian is under the ministry of the word in this sense. Okay, but go, in, go on down to 14. Since we, since then we have a high, a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then verse sixteen, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help in time of need. So in the, in, when we're being condemned, we can boldly go to God. Um, again, we end where we ended with the lost, Hebrews 9.14. Um, um, let's see. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay. Uh, and then Hebrews 10, uh, they have a section in the book, uh, what happens when conscience tempts you to despair? Okay. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's that faithful, same faithfulness as in John, 1 John 1, 1 9. Um, 
The book has a section from um, a book by John Bunyan. Um, it's echoed in uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, but it's in a different book um, <clears throat> where he, he, he's being accused by Satan, everything. You did all of this. And, and the accused says, his response is, yes, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of all those things, but I have a Savior, okay? Uh, I won't read it, although it's worth, you know, it's worth, uh, we don't have the time to read it, but let's see what he says at the end, 5253. Um, why I granted the whole charge to be true, and what did you... What, did you despair or how? No, saith he, I am, I, I said, I am Magdalene, the harlot. I'm Zacchaeus, the tax collector. I'm the thief. I'm the harlot. I'm the publican. I'm the prodigal. And one of Christ's murderers. Yea, worse than any of these. And yet God was so far from rejecting me as I found afterwards that there was music and dancing in this house, his house for me, and for joy that I was come home unto him. And a hymn, before the throne of God above. Um, and again, they, they, they've kind of interjected a, an interpretation here. When Satan, conscience, I'm not sure I buy that link completely, tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. An end. Okay. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied. He's satisfied. He's not going to get unsatisfied. Okay. To look on him... And pardon me. Okay. Our Christian life is comprised of grasping the gospel. Um, they end the, the chapter saying, When your conscience rightly condemns you, you should confess your sins to God and any other person you've sinned against in order to make it things right. And, and that the, there's other things that go along with that. You know, it's that... True repentance, that godly grief, true repentance. And instead of wallowing in self-pity about how wretched you are, look to Jesus, look to the cross. Jesus lived, died, and rose again for sinners like me. And God will save me if I turn from my sins and trust Jesus. That's the gospel. Okay, There's no better news than that when your conscience is rightly condemning you. Now, there's a lot of things that's kind of unspoken here, but there's a a cycle in our sanctification process where this happens to us, and we grow, we, we, we become this much more in harmony with God's law, and the same thing happens again, okay? So there's a cycle. Uh, but we have this to depend on. We have the good news to depend on. Okay, um, I think that's all I have. We've got about four minutes for questions.
questions, discussions? That can and Blake can answer. Now let me read it. I thought I did. It's a sacrifice that turns aside the justly deserved wrath of God and completely satisfied all his righteous re- uh, demands for justice. Well, there are fine differences between propitiation and other similar words. Um, the, the idea of satisfaction, turning aside, satisfying, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's the inheritance we have. Of what? Well, I'd, I'd say it was really the other way around, perhaps. I mean, he... he, he yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the sacrifice happened, and, and it was imputed to us. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, this this has been. <laughs> I'm I'm 65. I, I'm I've been a Christian for a fairly long time. I won't go into how long, but anyway. In, at one level, the content, the thrust of this book is, I have to say, it's kind of news to me, and it's that it's Christian meet your conscience. You know, uh, that that. Um, I can, 
I can, and we'll get into this next week, but um, I have ways of dealing with the condemnation of the conscience um, and, and growing it. Uh, I mean, you know, not, not letting the war, you know, getting light shine, sh- shone on it so that, that I can't just, you know, adopt something from the world into my conscience and it, it uh, starts commandeering things, okay? And start throwing stuff out. Did you have something? Yeah, and and it goes on. It goes on to say, God will not only not only promises to forgive you, but also promises to cleanse you, and that has something to do with your conscience too, cleansing the conscience. Uh, so when your conscience condemns you, go bold, go go boldly before the God's throne of grace, so that you may find mercy and grace. Okay. Um, And that's, and that's how the early parts of this uh, chapter talk. Let's close in prayer. Don't, don't, nobody look at the clock. I, I, just take my word. I, I didn't go over. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word. We're grateful to you for your Holy Spirit, for uh, the blood of Christ. Help us, each one, to keep it always before, always in our sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.